me begin by asking you a question. If I pulled you aside and I said to you, act, what would you do? I mean, it'd be a bit strange, wouldn't it? You, you, might, you might ask the question, well, act, act how? What am I acting? If I said, no, 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 just, just go ahead and act. Well, it'd be kind of hard to do that, wouldn't it? Why? Because you don't know who you're supposed to be. You don't know what is happening. And you don't know what, what you're supposed to do. And I think in, in some ways, this is a challenge facing our modern world. Every person wants to live their life and, and, and are told, live. But we're not quite sure of the script on how to live it. And without a script, it's, it's impossible to know where we've come from, where we're going, who we are, and how we should live. In other words, you and I need to know the story in which we're called to act. Now, the problem is, is the dominant story or script in Canada in 2021 is a difficult story to live. It's a fragmented story. It's unclear and it's hard to live out. So what is the story of our modern world? Well, let's look at this story. Let's look at this script by framing it with a, with, with a few questions. The first question is, where have we come from? Well, the dominant story of our world today says that we come from, uh, that we're a product of a long evolutionary process, not guided by divine hand, but is characterized by randomness and chance. Where are we going? We're not sure. We're not sure, partly because we're not sure where we come from. But hey, here's the thing. Wherever we're going, we want the freedom to get there. Third question. Who am I in this script? Well, in the modern script, we would say this. I am an autonomous, independent, individual spirit living inside a physical body. My body is secondary. And I can choose to do to it or with it whatever I want. And as, as I'm discovering who I am, what I need to do in order to find out who I am is I need to just look deep inside myself. How am I to live? Well, however I feel. As I look deep inside myself and discover the real me, well, then I can live out this me. I can live out my truth as authentically as I can and try to be as happy as I can. Now, the rest of the world can either get out of the way while I do this, or they can encourage me along the way. I remember seeing in a, in a high school classroom this big banner on the wall, and it kind of captures this, this modern uh, script. And, and on the wall it says, we have the right to be happy. I thought, yeah, that, that's, that's a modern script. Now, I want to linger here just for a moment because the key question of the story, of a story, is a very simple question, but it's a difficult question. And the question is this, who am I? What does it mean to be me? And how do I discover this me? Now, the contemporary answer is this, is that the me that I truly am is somehow buried deep, deep down within me. And this is the basis of thinking. This is, this is not only the basis of answering the question, who am I? But it is a basis of how we see, especially here in the West, important things like sex and gender. In fact, it's this idea that me is buried deep down within. It lies behind the claim that if someone looks deep inside themselves and discovers an identity deep within them that happens to differ from their birth identity, then the conclusion that they draw is that they're in the wrong body. 
Now, this is captured. I remember um, Ian Proven in his, in his new book called um, Seeking What is Right. Uh, Ian is a, a professor at Regent College. Um, he tells about a letter that he read way back in the Vancouver Sun in, 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 in 2000. And it was a 16-year-old girl who wrote a letter to the Sun. And, and this is what she writes. She says, on the internet, you don't have to have a name. You don't have to have a body or a gender. You can be truly yourself. Isn't that interesting? And so these are really, really important questions. Now, this idea of, of our true self being independent, distinct from our bodies, uh, actually has a long history. Um, it, it actually goes back to about two millennia. And it used to be called Gnosticism. And it actually hasn't really gone away. In our current age, this, this old idea has expressed something like this. My true self is not associated with things like names, bodies, genders, and stuff like that, but it's distinct, it's separate. But here's the thing, and we need to get this, this idea that my, my true self floats free of all such change or constraints of my body and those sorts of things. Yes, it's a dominant script of our age, but it is a profoundly anti-biblical idea. But what we re need to realize is this, is that the contemporary, Christian, uh, the contemporary Canadian script for life is absolutely not a Christian script. So what I want to do is let's look at the Christian story. What is the Christian script? Now, before we get to the key idea of, of who am I, let, let's do some groundwork. Let's lay out some groundwork of what the Christian story tells us. It tells us a few things. One, on our own, we cannot see things clearly. On our own, with our own efforts, we cannot figure out reality, let alone internal reality. And so the Bible teaches us that in this world, things are not as they're supposed to be. We are fallen human beings, separated from God, and also alienated from ourselves. And so this means, contrary to what Disney Plus teaches us, <laughs> that if you look deep, deep within yourself, on your own, you're not going to find anything. Um, or what we think we find may not, in fact, be true. Secondly, the Christian story teaches us that to see clearly, we need help. Uh, we need revelation. We need, you know, for God to reveal the way things truly are to us. Only when he does this can we discern who we are and how we're supposed to live. Thirdly, the Christian story tells us that Jesus Christ is really really important. In fact, as followers of Jesus Christ, our lives are oriented around a person and an event. The person is Jesus Christ, and the event is his life, his teaching, his suffering, his death, resurrection, and ascension. And so to be a Christian means to follow Jesus. He is the truth, the life, and the way. And our lives will only work insofar as we are living in sync with him. Fourthly, this means as disciples, as disciples of Jesus, we must reject any ideas presented by our culture, even if they're popular, that are in opposition to what God has revealed to us. So, if you think that this internal sense of self, that this looking deep inside yourself will determine who you are and how you're going to live, okay, you can do that, but you've stopped following Jesus. Now, I'm not trying to be controversial at all. I mean, as Christians, 
we are Christians. We have Christ in our name. We are called to live under the lordship and leadership of Jesus Christ, not under some internal sense of self. Why? Because the Bible teaches us is that our feelings are not really reliable guides in determining who we are and how we are to live. And when we solely rely upon our feelings, they will lead us astray. Fifthly, the Bible is given to us by Jesus to guide us and to measure our lives to see whether how we are living is good or not. And finally, for our purposes today, we need to realize that these questions that we're talking about of sex and gender, these are not secondary matters to the church that you know, we can agree to disagree over. They're not secondary matters at all. They're really important issues. And I think both scripts would, would, would argue this. Uh, why? Because we're dealing with core issues. What does it mean to be human? Which brings us back to our key question. What does it mean to be human? Or who am I? To answer this question, we must turn to the true script, Holy Scripture. So if you have a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. So in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, we read, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, over all the ground, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life. I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. Lord, we do pray that you would speak to us through your word. Speak truth. Reveal to us things that we cannot see. In Jesus' name, amen. So what do we find right at the beginning of the Bible? Well, in Genesis 1, we read that God created the cosmos. He created everything. And he designed it to work in good ways. And over and over again, we read of God creating stuff, creating matter, and what he creates is good. Now, just as a side note, and I've said this before, this is why I think every Christian needs to be an environmentalist. This is God's good world that he has made, and we are called to treat it with respect. So Genesis 1 teaches us that God has designed creation, and his design is good. And we always need to appeal back to God's design. Even in Matthew 19, when people were um, challenging Jesus about marriage and divorce, what does Jesus do? He appeals to creation. Uh, marriage is God's good design, and, uh, and even Moses has to be measured against this. And so in these passages, um, there's some primary truths. So there's, some, there's a moral vision that is laid out. Okay, what are these truths? Okay. One, you and I are made in the image of God and his likeness. That's what we read. Now, what does that mean, though? Okay, lots of ink has been spilled over this one. But suffice to say, 
in the ancient world, everywhere around Israel, people worship gods and their images in their temples. But here's the thing. Israel was forbidden to do this. Why? Why? Well, because what is captured, what is created, cannot capture who God is. Things like wooden idols, things will always fall short or worse, distort the character of God. But there's one exception. And that one exception is you and me. We are made in God's image after his likeness. This means that God can be imaged by living, breathing human persons. So what does this look like? Well, if the world is God's temple, then human beings who are placed in the world, placed in God's temple, we can image God how? Well, through our capacity to reason, through our capacity to make moral choices, that we have been given free will and that we are not solely driven by instinct. So, you know, guys like Edward O. Wilson get it wrong. Secondly, we've been given a vocation, a calling as image bearers. Okay, what is that calling? Well, one, we are called to be fruitful and multiply, to exercise governance over all creation. And so it is the destiny of all human beings to rule over the cosmos on behalf of the true God. And we see this in, in Psalm 8, verse 4, um, where they ask the question, what is man, what is a human being that you would be mindful of him? What is man that you are mindful of him? Well, in the ancient world, what is, what is humanity? The answer is nothing. Humanity had no value. Men and women had no value. They were slaves to the gods. But the psalmist tells us a different story, that we are just a little lower than heavenly beings and are crowned with glory and honor. Secondly, that is why you and I are called to treat every human being with dignity and value. This is the Christian script. We treat every human being with dignity and value because every human being is made in God's image. And this is the theology behind many of the abolitionist movements over history. Thirdly, we are alive because of God. We live, we breathe, we have our being because God designed it and God allows it. And that means we are alive along with other creatures on this planet because of God. Um, it also means that as human beings, we are not souls inhabiting bodies. This is really important. The Greeks believe that. So we should not think of our bodies as containing things that are more important. Boy, this is such an important point. It brings us back to this popular idea that our inner essence, our deep insideness, is more important than anything else, including our bodies. But this idea of our essence being separate from our bodies is not biblical thinking. We are one complex entity, and that means, thirdly, our bodies matter. Our bodies are not secondary. Man, we've talked about this a lot. Our bodies are not accessories. They're not instruments. They're not containers for our souls that can be customized by our eternal preferences, then later discarded because when we die, you know, our souls will fly away to heaven. Our future hope, in the Christian script, the future hope is not that we're going to be sitting in some disembodied state, strumming some disembodied <laughs> harp, up in the clouds. No, the, the Christian hope is resurrection. Resurrection of the body. And that means our bodies are here to stay. Bodies matter. Matter matters to God. And so what does this mean? Fourthly, well, 
Scripture teaches us that these bodies are male and female. This is how God created human beings, as two clearly differentiated sexes designed to complement each other. Male and female, he created them. And this difference and complementarity of our humanity in many ways reflect the difference and the complementarity found within the Godhead itself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as male and female, we read that uh, we are designed uh, to procreate. Sex is bound up in Scripture with the formation of the family by the male and female joined in the covenant of marriage. And so, it's an awkward thing to say, but within the Christian script, there's only one context for sexual intercourse between a husband and wife in the covenant of marriage. And sex, in the biblical story, um, it's not just seen in a functional way. It's not just about having children. Um, <laughs> read Song of Solomon without blushing, for example. There's deep beauty, deep intimacy, and joy in our sexuality. Uh, part of marriage is companionship. Uh, in Genesis 2, we read that it is, not, it is not good. It's the first time you come across the words not good for man to be alone. We read in Ephesians 5 that the mystery of marriage in some way mirrors, points to this mystery, love between Christ and his church. Okay, so back to our key question that we're looking at today. Who am I? Who am I? Again, there are, there are two scripts at play. The Canadian secular script says where, you know, where, where have we come from? Well, nowhere in particular. We are products of some random, chance-driven, blind process. Where are we going? Nowhere in particular. But hey, we want the freedom to go wherever that may be. We don't know. Now, I think, is there any wonder that one of the main characteristics of the modern world is this deep sense of restlessness and anxiety and boredom? I mean, if you don't know where you've come from, you don't know where you're going, then you don't even know why you're here, and so you try to instill as much excitement as you can. And I think, I think there's a direct connection to our boredom or the ancient vice of uh, acedia and the growth of pornography. So who am I in the secular script? Well, I'm an autonomous, independent, individual spirit living inside a physical body. My body is secondary. In fact, in the secular script, Canadian script, our body sometimes gets in the way of how we feel on the inside. And so we demand the freedom to do whatever we want to our body or with our body to make it conform to our inner sense of self. And sometimes we'll make drastic changes to our body through hormone treatment or operations. But often, often, what happens is, and it's a, it's a danger, what happens if this inner sense of self changes? We're reading about this more and more. So how am I to live? How am I to live? I don't know. I just want to live and have the freedom to live however I want. I want to live out my truth as I've discovered it by looking deep, deep within me. But honestly, I don't know how to live, and so I have to instill some sort of meaning into my life. And I get it. I was there. I mean, when I used to live in Shanghai, when I was an atheist, I remember just trying to force meaning into my life. Now, the Christian script is, is utterly different. And I think the Christian story is a beautiful story. It is a meaningful story. 
shouldn't surprise us. It's, it's, it should be meaningful because it has been revealed to us by the author of all reality, God. Christian script tells me, I am an image bearer of God. And so every human being has dignity and value from conception right up to their death. Bodies matter. Names matter. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you, this is such a powerful truth. And I think that is why the horrific events, the horrific events in Kamloops that we've been reading about, why this cuts to the heart, done in the name of the church, is so problematic is because it violates this truth that our bodies, bodies matter, our names matter. I'm a male or a female image bearer as defined by my biology, created with my neighbor to be good stewards over creation. I'm a fallen image bearer. And so sin affects everything. This is a Christian story. We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. Ephesians 2 reminds us that, that I was once far away from God. But I love this. But God, because of his great love with which he loved me, even though I was dead in my sins, made me alive with Christ. And so it's Jesus Christ who saves us and will bring us into a glorious embodied future. And so I'm also wired for relationship, both with God and with others. And one of these relationships may or may, it may not be lifelong marriage to someone of the opposite sex, involving sexual intimacy and possibly children. But in the meantime, in the meantime, in the Christian script, you and I are invited to live our life as exiles. I'm teaching through 1 Peter, so that's a big theme right now. We are waiting to live eternally when God calls us home. And yes, in this life of ours, we will experience challenges and tensions, even with our bodies. But we know, as Paul the Apostle writes, that this light momentary affliction is preparing us, preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to, to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are, are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now, this is a great story. I think it's a story we need to remember. I think it's a, it's a story that the world needs to hear. I remember Marva Dawn, the late Marva Dawn, she's a theologian. Uh, she was speaking to some teenagers about sex, and, and she's laying out the Christian vision for sexuality, and the, a lot of the teenager, teenage girls said, why? why hasn't anyone told us this before? It's a great story into which we're invited. And it is a story in which I am called to live my life as a Christ follower. But note this. This, this is hard to say, but it's true. Nowhere in this story is there a place for one's gender to exist independently from our God-given biological sex. In the biblical script, there's man and there's woman created by God. Now, having said that, it is also true in Scripture and in life that you know, people express masculinity and femininity in diverse ways. And I think the church has gotten it wrong saying men ought to look like this and women ought to look like that. I think, why? I mean, it's not in Scripture. Um, I think the church gets it wrong when these narrow depictions of masculinity and femininity are put forward. So that's important. But... Just because there are multiple ways to express masculinity and femininity does not mean there is an existence of multiple genders that can be disassociated from biological sex. 
Because scripture affirms that there are two genders, not 81, apparently there's 81 and counting. Um, we may feel otherwise, but scripture teaches us that these internal feelings, again, are not reliable guides for determining what is true. And scripture gives us no reason to suggest that a person who is born with a male body is in reality a female or vice versa. And so really we have no foundation for the engineering of our bodies to make them conform to our inner sense of self. I mean, Paul teaches us this in 1 Corinthians 6. He says our bodies matter. They are not our own. Um, Paul writes, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, or you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now, before I conclude, there's just one practical and pastoral question I want to lay out. And this question is probably on your mind. So how do you deal with the very real and very distressing condition of gender dysphoria, where you feel this disconnect between your body and, and the sense of self? And we encounter this in our, in our own community. Well, our response as a church is to show love and compassion. No, that's the way it should be, show love and compassion. That is, after all, the way of Jesus. And so our response is to offer help. And we do this through friendship. That's actually really important through counseling, through encouragement, by recognizing and acknowledging that we're all in the same boat. We are all pilgrims on the way. Philippians 3 um, teaches us this. I love what Paul says. He says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. He said, I'm still on my way, right? But I press on. And all of us were called to press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, Paul writes, he says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, there's lots more that can be said um, and needs to be said about this huge and controversial topic. And, and yeah, I mean, there will be more said, but, but my challenge to you today is this. Now, I speak to my brothers and sisters in Christ. Know what you believe. Hold to the Christian script. This is the script that God has revealed. It's not an easy story to live in, but it is deeply meaningful. And it is true. And I want to invite all those who are listening to, to, to discover this script. Because this, when we live under the one who is the author of our, of our souls, the, the, the lover of our souls, the one in and through whom we live, we breathe, we have our being, who brings us into a story that began long before we came on the scene and will carry on long after we leave the scene. God's story, when we find ourselves in his story, then our lives can be the lives that they were meant to be. And so that's your invitation today. Let us pray. Oh, God of grace, you are a God of grace, and we thank you for the story into which you are inviting us. It is a story that is rich. It's a story that's not easy to live out, but it is a story that when we do live it out, we are in sync with the cosmos. We're in sync with how you have created us and how you have designed us and how you have um, 
and for, for what purposes you have redeemed us and saved us. And so, Lord, we pray that uh, this story, the Christian story that you're inviting us into, would be something that we'd be drawn to. There may be some uh, hearing this today who are feeling that sense of restlessness and that sense of anxiety and that sense of what is life all about. And Lord, may you reveal yourself to them and may they find life in you. May we all find life in you and live faithful, loving lives towards you and towards each other and towards our neighbors. This is our desire. We lift this up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks.